Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist. Welcome in. Hobbity episode 7. Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. Sportsbook. It is Friday, August 18th, 2023. People, I hope everybody I hope everybody is having a great day, and I do hope everybody has enjoyed these bonus vacation episodes of the Eratoras Pod. If you have been away for a few days, here's the deal. I am actually away this week, last little getaway before college football season starts. And so what we've done is we have put up preview episodes of another show I host called the College Football Betting Show with Aaron Torres. There, this offseason, we have hit on all the major conferences and over-under win total predictions, and because of it, we have taken some of those shows and put them on the Aaron Torres podcast feed this week. We did the SEC East on Monday. We did the SEC West on Wednesday. Today is a look at the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is crazy. It's go outside of everything that's going on off the field. The Pac-12 has a great football product on the field this year. USC is going to be good. Oregon's going to be good. Washington's going to be good. Five teams in the top 20 of the coaches poll. Uh, Utah, the reigning two-time champs. And of course, Colorado is fascinating in their own right in year one under Deion Sanders. So full Pac-12 preview ahead. This is a long one. We did all 12 teams. And then Monday, I'm back with whatever has gone on while I've been gone. I don't even want to know what I could possibly be talking about by the time I get back. But new episode Monday, August 20th. And it's officially game week at that point, getting ready for week zero. I'll give you my college football playoff picks. But now, let's get to our final vacay episode, the Pac-12 preview. And of course, if you enjoy it, make sure to subscribe to the college football betting feed as well. Man, everybody, another edition, the college football betting podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. I am your host, Aaron Torres. Hope everybody is doing well. Hope everybody is ready for another one of our preseason preview episodes of the show. We have already done the SEC East, the SEC West, the Big Ten East, the Big Ten West. Today, it is a look at the Pac-12, and I guess I should be thankful that we waited to do this episode until we did. The Pac-12, right before I recorded a few days, it obviously went up in smoke, right? We knew UCLA and USC were leaving. As I record here now, Oregon and Washington will be joining them in the Big Ten. Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah 
headed to the Big 12 as I record, and stuff is always subject to change. Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, and Stanford are looking for new homes. Obviously a disappointing thing, but you've talked about it enough, and you want to focus on football. And what I will say is, in the final year of the Pac-12 as we know it, what I will say is the football should be really good. I think you could argue outside of the SEC, this might be the second best league in college football. You know, Ohio State and Michigan are really good at the top of the Big Ten, but you get to team four, five, six, seven, you could argue the Pac-12 is better. Utah, the two-time defending champ. USC with the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. Washington coming off an 11-win season. Oregon coming off a 10-win season. Oregon State coming off a 10-win season. So a great league, a lot of parity, a lot of really good football. And I will say, despite all of the uncertainty off the field, excited to dive into this one. Before we get started, quick reminder, one, if you're not subscribed to the show, make sure to do so. College Football Betting with Aaron Torres, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to down, uh, wherever you download podcasts, make sure to do that. You can also rate and review the show. If you can leave a quick five stars, that really would help with this show, help the show grow, all that good stuff. Also, YouTube channel is blowing up. Go ahead, YouTube. Just go on YouTube, College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. Uh, It's a separate page than the Aaron Torres pod. Go ahead, subscribe there. All of these shows end up on that page, as well as clips and things of that nature. Also, before we get started, a quick thank you to our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. Uh, All of the over-under win totals here are provided by Betfred. And of course, if you want to bet $50 on any game, download the Betfred Sportsbook app and you'll get up to $1,111 in free bets. They also have a lot of cool giveaways going in the, you know, in, in the lead up to football season, college football in the NFL. So make sure to download the Betfred Sportsbook app. All right, let's not waste any more time. Let's get to it and let's talk Pac-12 over-under win totals. And let's start with, listen, they're not the reigning champion, but I would argue probably the most interesting team. That is the USC Trojans. USC's over-under win total in the Betfred Sportsbook is nine and a half wins. The money coming in on the over at minus 170. To bet the under, you got to bet it at plus 140. Now, before we get into this particular USC team, let me say this. I think it's easy because of how he left Oklahoma, because of some of the hubris, whatever you want to say. I think it's easy to overlook just how good Lincoln Riley was in year one at USC. And I know he was able to bring Caleb Williams with him. And I know the transfer portal. I get how all of that works. But why I bring it up, this was a 4-8 and eight team that Lincoln Riley took over. Year one, they finished 11-1 and one in the regular season. They're playing Utah in the Pac-12 championship game to go to the college football playoff. Remember, they win that game. They are going to the college football playoff. It speaks to the incredible job that Lincoln Riley did. And so I don't want that to be lost. Is is like, again, everyone thinks, oh, it's Lincoln Riley, whatever. He was really good in year one, and there is optimism as to why they will be even better in year two. And obviously, look, that optimism starts with Caleb Williams. You don't need me to beat around the bush. You don't need me to, uh, you know, whatever. We all know how good number 13 is. He was special. He won the Heisman Trophy. He was a deserving Heisman Trophy winner because that offense was on fire all season long, third nationally in scoring, third nationally in total offense. He himself just put up video game numbers, 
4,500 yards, 42 touchdowns, just five interceptions. And as I said last year, it wasn't just that he put up big numbers. It was that his team needed him to be great every single week. You go back and look at some of those wins and obviously the one loss that they had during the regular season. Just look at what Caleb Williams had to do for those USC Trojans last year. Again, you go back to a season ago. Remember, they lost uh, their only loss in the regular season, 43-42 to at Utah when Jordan Addison gets hurt. Had to put up 42 points, Caleb Williams did it. Had to put up 45 points to beat Arizona 45-37, beat Cal 41-35, beat UCLA 48-45. So every single week, they needed Caleb Williams to be great, and he delivered. Good news for USC, plenty around him again. Obviously, you did lose Travis Dye at running back. You did lose Jordan Addison, a first-round pick at wide receiver. But at the same time, reloaded as USC and Lincoln Riley do in this transfer portal era. Uh, Austin Jones comes back. He was with the team a year ago. Almost 800 yards rushing was the team's second leading rusher a season ago. Also, remember Marshawn Lloyd, who was the other USC, uh, South Carolina, he was their leading rusher a season ago as well. So a nice one-two, uh, a two-headed attack at the running back position. At the wide receiver position, Taz Washington is back after catching 50 balls last year. Mario Williams caught 40 balls. Brendan Rice caught 39. They combined for 15 touchdowns. And that's before you factor in that they also added a five-star wide receiver in Zachariah Branch, a five-star tight end in Deuce Robinson, and a five, a four-star wide receiver in Makai Lemon. Bring it all up to say that while uh, Ohio State probably gets the most credit for its wide receiver room, I would argue that USC's is as good as anybody's, and Caleb Williams will have no shortage of, of tools in his toolbox, guys to get the ball to, which I expect Lincoln Riley to always be able to do. Of course, as good as that offense was, I just referenced it. We got to talk defense, and this is a big part of do you believe in USC, not only for the over-under win total, but also do you believe in them potentially to make the playoff, to win the Pac-12 and make the playoff? Well, here's the thing. There's good and bad when we talk about that defense. The bad, the raw statistics, okay? You go back last year, they were not very good. 93rd nationally in points per game allowed, 29 per game, 105th nationally giving up over 423 yards per game a season ago. There is some good news with it, though. One, as bad as those stats were, USC did something at just an insane clip on defense. Well, besides giving up points anyway, that is <laughs> they forced an insane number of turnovers. I remember talking about this on this show on the, the, the Aaron Torres pod. USC finished last year. This is a mind-boggling stat. Plus 22 in turnover margin. That means for people who, who are, are novice to football, and I don't think any of you are, that means that they forced 22 more turnovers than their opponents. You extrapolate that out to 14 games, that's close to like two turnovers per game more than their opponents that they forced. And so that was the good news. That was how they were able to stay competitive. And the other good news is, listen, in this portal world, they did a reasonably good job of restocking this roster, especially through the portal. They brought in a pair of five-star-ish transfers on the defensive line. 
Bear, Bear Alexander, who began his career at Georgia, transferred it in the spring. Anthony Lucas was part of that historic Texas A&M recruiting class two years ago. He transferred in in the winter. You also added Mason Cobb, a linebacker from Oklahoma State that was their leading tackler. Uh, Traquan Fagans, a cornerback from Alabama. So listen, you add defensive pieces from Georgia, Alabama, uh, 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 who am I blanking on? Oklahoma State and Texas A&M. You could do a lot worse, okay? Also bring back some important pieces, especially at linebacker Shane Lee, Eric Gentry, your two best linebackers a year ago are returning this year. Here's where I get a little concerned with USC though. And again, the over-under is nine and a half, but look, this is an over-under show, but in the big picture, I think a lot of people think in year two under Lincoln Riley, they can make the playoff. Here's the problem. A couple problems. First of all, the schedule is brutal. The schedule was clearly put together before everybody thought that USC and UCLA were the only teams leaving after this year. This schedule feels like the Pac-12 does not want USC to succeed this year, okay? First half of the schedule is easy. By the way, worth noting, USC does play a week zero game. Unfortunately, it's on the Pac-12 network, so I don't know how many of you will be able to watch it. But the first half of USC's schedule is manageable. Problem is, the second half is insane. From mid-October on, here is the schedule. At Notre Dame, Utah, which beat USC twice at the Coliseum, Cal, obviously manageable, Washington at home, at Oregon, UCLA at home. So as we get through this Pac-12 preview, you'll understand how hard that schedule is. But at Notre Dame, Utah is going to be a top 20 team, beat USC twice, Washington at home, Washington will be ranked in the top 15, at Oregon, Oregon will be ranked in the top 15, UCLA. Five teams that are probably going to be ranked in the preseason top 25, two of them on the road, uh, bad weather in Eugene and South Bend expected for those games. The other things that really kind of concern me with USC are pretty straightforward. First, we talked about that turnover margin, and it would concern me if I was a Trojans fan. Not that they were plus 22, but because is that something that is really sustainable going forward into this year? I always look when I do this stuff at outlier stats, right? Stats that that are just extremes one way or the other. I'll give you an example. I remember last year, Michigan State, I believe, had won the previous year when they won 11 games. They had won like five games by a single possession. And I just said to myself going into last year, I said the odds of them going 5-0 and in one possession games probably is not very likely. And of course, Michigan State flatlined and they were a total mess. Well, I look at USC and I look at the fact that so many of their games came down to one play, one turnover, one whatever. And if they're plus 10 in turnover margin, which by the way is incredible, they're probably like nine and three in the regular season, not 11 and one. So you add that in with the concerns that remain on the defense up front. I understand they added two SEC transfers on the defensive line. The problem is when you're talking about USC, and you're talking about a team that wants to compete at the highest levels. You know how many S- – they have two SEC-caliber defensive linemen. Georgia has like 12 of them. Alabama has like 11 of them. LSU has like nine of them. USC's got two. And so I think this team will be a little bit of a better facsimile of what they were last year. Um, a lot of points, an improved defense. But is it going to be good enough, especially with that late schedule? 
This is my official pick on USC. I will not be betting. If I had to make a lean, I would go over the nine and a half wins, but I would go 10 and two and say they probably don't make the playoff. Where do the losses come from? I don't know, but that schedule is thankless, especially late. It is one big game after another, couple big road trips. This team is really good. I don't see them as a playoff type team. Let's keep it going. Let's go with another team that last year had a first year head coach and another team with just a fascinating year a season ago. That is the Oregon Ducks over under win total for Oregon is nine and a half wins, just like USC. Most of the money actually coming in on the under. You can bet it at minus 120 on the under plus 100 on the over. Now with Oregon, kind of the same thing with USC. First year head coach, Dan Lanning. He obviously inherited a much better situation than than Lincoln Riley did, but I was genuinely impressed. And it's easy to forget what happened with Oregon last year, but here's the crazy part. Oregon was actually really good last year. Remember, they lost opening week to Georgia in Atlanta. They lost 49 to three, I think was the final score. And we all did the, oh my goodness, Oregon's in over their head. They have no chance. The new coaching staff, Bo Nix is the quarterback. This is going to be a disaster. And then you watch George every week and you were like, oh, they're still really, really, really good. And Oregon was quietly awesome after that game. Won eight straight games after that, blew a bunch of people out, beat UCLA in a top 10 matchup in Eugene. And it just shows you how good that season was and how good it was going. But unfortunately, Oregon, as they've done so often the past few years, and I feel bad for Oregon fans, by the way, feels like every November they go in with a chance to compete for a college football playoff spot. Could have last year, could have in 2021, could have in 2019. Haven't been to the playoffs since the initial college football playoff in 2014. That's how long it's been. And it's because in November they lost two big games. They lost at home to Washington. That was the game where Bo Nix gets hurt late. Washington rallies and wins. And then even after they lose that game, Oregon still has a chance to compete for a Pac-12 title, win win that game, go play in the Rose Bowl. Instead, they lose to Oregon State in the final game of the regular season. So that's what happened last year. Here's the good news, though. They return a lot, especially on offense. First off, Bo Nix, we all got our jokes in at Auburn. He was really good last year for Oregon. Now, Oregon did lose its offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham. He's now the head coach at Arizona State. We'll get to them momentarily. But Bo Nix was really freaking good last year. You understand Bo Nix last year. 3,500 yards passing. 72% completion percentage. 29 passing passing touchdowns for Bo Nix. Oh, by the way, 14 rushing touchdowns as well. And so just getting him back, makes Oregon a contender, and then you look at everything else around him. Bucky Irving, over a 1,000 yards rushing. By the way, Bucky is a great name. Wish we had more Buckies in the world. Bucky Irving, over a 1,000 yards rushing. Their second leading rusher, Noah Whittington, is back over 775 yards rushing. So the two of them essentially combines for like 2,000 yards rushing. The wide receiver group is deep as well. Troy Franklin, Chris Hudson, Sean Holden, a transfer from Alabama, And then how about this? Tez Johnson is basically like an adopted brother of Bo Nix, literally adopted. He is now at Washington, comes from Troy. For Oregon, the O-line, a little bit of a rebuild, but they're rebuilding with good players. 
Uh, Josh Connerly, who was a true freshman last year, will start move into one tackle spot, was a five-star top 30 or so player in his class. Uh, A.J. Cornelius at the other tackle spot, transfer from Rhode Island. This was a guy that Ohio State wanted, Nebraska wanted, everybody wanted. He ends up at Oregon. And then defensively, look, like USC, they need to be better. Thankfully, they weren't as bad on paper as USC, but they really did fall apart late in those two games that they ended up losing. Gave up 37 points to Washington in that loss at home, 38 points to Oregon State in the loss to end the regular season. Those games you got to win, or at the very least, the defense has to be better. Good news, Dan Lanning, a defensive guy, to his credit, um, really kind of cleaned up in the portal and in high school recruiting, especially in the front seven. Um, Mateo Uyangalale, the brother of DJ, is in as a five-star recruit, came down to Ohio State, USC, and and uh, Oregon, chooses Oregon. Also on top of that, uh, what else? Jordan Birch, former five-star, transfers in from South Carolina, had seven and a half tackles for loss in the SEC last year, and most of the back seven is back. Two really good linebackers return. A really good secondary will come together. Now, they did lose Christian Gonzalez, a top 10 pick to the Atlanta Falcons, but at the same time, Traquez Bridges is back, Taishim Johnson, a name to know, a transfer from Ole Miss, and also Kyrie Jackson, a transfer from Alabama. Now, when looking at Oregon, just like USC, we got to talk schedule because the schedule is, again, tough for a program that historically, I hate to say it, Oregon fans, but has struggled in November. First half for Oregon is relatively manageable, although I will say in week two, they have to go to Texas Tech, a true road game. Texas Tech is a tough place to play. Remember, Texas lost there last year. A lot of big games have been lost, and Texas Tech should be pretty good this year. Oregon also has, like I said, manageable first half. It gets tough starting the middle of October at Washington, Washington State at home, at Utah, USC, and Oregon State all in the final final six weeks. They also, by the way, have Cal at home and Arizona State on the road. But even if you take those games out, At Washington, Washington's a top 15 preseason team. We'll be talking about them momentarily. At Utah, brutal. And then USC and Oregon State at home are two really tough games. So you look at the schedule. It's just, uh, I'll say this. I'm even back up. I like Oregon a lot. I don't think the Pac-12 is doing any of their big teams any favors by putting all these late season games, super marquee, back to back to back everybody's schedule is backloaded. I don't think that does anybody any favors. With that said, though, I will say, I kind of feel the same way about them as I do about USC. I said a minute ago, I think USC goes over nine and a half. I don't know if they go 11 and one or 12 and oh and make the playoff. And I kind of feel the same way about Oregon. I think they're really, really, really good. But you add in an out-of-conference game at Texas Tech with the matchups, Uh, at Washington, at Utah, late in the year, USC at home, Oregon State at home. This feels like a 10-2 and team to me. Another question of what if. Now, good news is uh, you go 10-2 and next year in the Big Ten, you're going to the college football playoff, no doubt. Uh, But Oregon, I will take the over, but I won't make them the college football. I I don't believe they'll make the college football playoff. 
Let's do one more team. Take a quick break. We'll come back. We got a lot to do. This, this episode might be like four hours long because every team in the Pac-12 is interesting. But let's keep it going. Um, and let's talk about the Washington Huskies. I think Washington, you could argue, and probably Florida State too, they were like the buzz team of the offseason where you looked at the end of last year and you said, okay, they'll be good. They'll be fun. Really good team. And then somewhere in the offseason, it became, this is the greatest team that has ever lived. Florida State, it's the same deal. But Washington, coming off an 11-win season, there is a lot of excitement around this team. And frankly, justifiably so. As I said, first-year head coach. By the way, theme in the Pac-12 this year. Lincoln Riley, Kalen DeBoer, and Dan Lanning all going into their second years in this league. But Kalen DeBoer is the guy at Washington, and Michael Penix is that dude. Michael Penix, I don't think people realize how good this guy was. And I don't think people, again, realize how good this team was late in the year, winning at Oregon, beating Oregon State, beating Texas in a bowl game. This is where all this excitement comes from. And it starts with DeBoer, and it starts with Michael Penix. Penix, a year ago, transfers in from Indiana. Of course, DeBoer was his offensive coordinator several years prior. And Michael Penix has a career year for an incredible offense. This was an offense that ranked first nationally in passing yards. Okay. Wasn't Josh Heupel's Tennessee team. Wasn't Ryan Day's Ohio State team. Wasn't Lincoln Riley's USC team. It was Michael Penix, Kayla DeBoer, and Washington. Second nationally in yards per game, 515. And 39.7 points per game. That ain't too shabby. Top 10 nationally. Michael Penix like Bo Nix, does return for that final year, COVID year, uh, and he should be really good. Why? Because he was awesome last year. This was a guy, Michael Penix, that when you look at the stats that he put up, I mean, it is just absolutely incredible what this guy did in season one. 4,600 yards, 31 touchdowns, a 65% completion percentage guy, and he's going to have plenty of weapons around him this year. Good news is second leading rusher is back. They don't really run the ball a ton. But it is worth noting a nice stable of running backs. Cameron Davis, 644 yards rushing last year. Daniel Nagata transferred in from Arizona State. Dylan Johnson transferred in from Mississippi State. So plenty of depth in the running back room. And then the wide receiver room. I just said it with USC. I'll say it again. Washington won't get the hype of an Ohio State, a Texas, or even a USC. These wide receivers are insane. Jalen McMillan, 79 catches, 1,000 yards, nine touchdowns a year ago. Rome Odesne, 75 catches, 1,145 yards, seven TDs a year ago. Jalen Polk, a, another superstar on that uh, in that pass game, excuse me. Jalen Polk, 41 catches, 694 yards, and six touchdowns. So you are talking about a team in the Washington Huskies that in their top three pass catchers, how about this? Just last year, 223 catches, 3,200 yards, 23 touchdowns. Out of three guys, you can see the excitement. Here's even more good news. The defense, while statistically not looking very impressive, was much better the second half of the year. This was a team that the first half of the year, the first six games, gave up 32 points per game. The, the final half of the season, 22 points per game. Um, and really, you know, listen, they took two early losses. One was at UCLA, no shame in that. The other one at Arizona State, maybe the weirdest loss of the season. 
But again, that defense played really well down the stretch. 21 points allowed against Cal, 21 points in a win over Oregon State, 7 against Colorado, 20 against Texas in the bowl game. Uh, As far as depth and all that information, I would just say when it comes to that team, they have a pretty solid front seven when it comes to uh, Washington. Braylon Trice, 12 tackles for loss, nine sacks off the edge. But there is a little bit of a concern with Washington. Last year, they did not force a lot of turnovers, 117th nationally, only 12 total turnovers forced. Again, USC was plus 22 in turnovers. So how about Washington with only 12? And I guess what I would say is when I look at that and when I look at the schedule, I might be a little bit more down on Washington than most. First of all, the schedule is more challenging. They do have to go in early in the season to Michigan State. I don't think Michigan State is good. I think Washington will probably win. But we said that last year about Michigan State going to Washington. We said Michigan State's really good. They're going on the road. They'll be fine. They get smacked by Washington. Now Washington's got to fly cross country to play Michigan State. Beyond that, like those other two schools that I mentioned, a very loaded back half of the schedule for the Washington Huskies. Final four games they play, or really, you know, again, it's like Oregon, the final six games, really. Oregon at home on October 14th, that will be off of a bye. But then the final four weeks of the season at USC, Utah, Oregon State on the road, Washington State at home in the final Apple Cup. So final seven games or so, Oregon at home, USC Utah, uh, USC, Oregon State on the road, Utah at home. That's a really, really, really tough schedule, and I would be worried a little bit. Finally, there is one other thing, and I and listen, this is me being transparent, okay? Washington fans might hear that and think, Torres is a hater. Torres doesn't like my team. This is just what I would say. Washington, my other big concern with them, I do worry a little bit about Michael Penix, a guy that historically last year was the outlier year, And also a guy that has struggled to stay healthy in his career. Obviously, I would never in a million years root for anybody to get hurt. I hope that goes without saying. But here's the bottom line on Michael Penix. Prior to last season, when he was one of the best quarterbacks in college football, okay? Prior to that, he was a 53% completion percentage guy in 2022. Now, admittedly, he was coming off of an injury, but still... 53% completion percentage, 56% completion percentage in 2021. Now, you could argue it was because he didn't have the coaching that he does under Kalen DeBoer, but what I guess what I would say is, can he do that two years in a row? If he does it two years in a row, Washington's going to go over here. With that said, I struggle to believe that he'll be able to. I do worry a little bit about the schedule, and I do worry about the defense just enough where this is my first official bet. I am going to go ahead and take the under here because, like I said, I really like this team and I really like this story, but I worry a little bit about the Washington Huskies. My official bet on this team, it is Washington under the five, under the nine and a half wins. I think they're probably about a nine and three squad. Again, somebody's got to take losses in all these big games. I worry a little bit about Washington. All right, so what I want to do, take a quick break. When I come back, We're going to talk about, how about this? We're 25 minutes into the show. Haven't even gotten to the reigning two-time champion, Utah Utes. Haven't gotten to...
Colorado and Coach Prime, Deion Sanders. A lot, lot left. Oh, by the way, Oregon State, just a little ho-hum, 10-win season for them. Arizona on the rise. We'll take a quick break, discuss everybody. That's next. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now, you know Betfred's story started in 1967 in the UK, over a 1,000 shops in the UK, and they have now come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of not only all things Aaron Torres Media, but the Colorado Rockies, the Denver Broncos, the Cincinnati Bengals. And what I love about Betfred, Nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred does. I've been telling you that for a year. We have sent listeners of the Aaron Torres pod to Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. The Betfred suite at Cincinnati Bengals games is rocking. Betfred betters have thrown out first pitch at the Colorado Rockies games. Nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred. And here is what they are doing for you right now. How about this? Bet $50 on any game. Get up to $1,111 in free bets. Here's how it works. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Bet 50 bucks on anything you want to bet on. You automatically get $111 in free bets. But beyond that, you get up to $200 in insurance for your first five weeks as a Betfred customer, totaling $1,111 in free bets. I've told you for a year, nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred. They're the only book that I bet with. And I want to thank Betfred for being our presenting sponsor. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, so here's the problem with these leagues without divisions. Okay. So, so we did the SEC East, the SEC West, the Big Ten East, and the Big Ten West. We were able to break them down into nice, neat little compartments and get you out of it. Uh, you, you know, do a show in about 30, 35 minutes. It is no such case with the Pac 12, which has 12 teams, no divisions. And so, what I'm going to do do extended previews on two more teams, Colorado and the reigning Pac-12 champion, two-time champion, Utah. We'll take a break, and then we're going to have to just rip through the Washington States, Oregon States, UCLA, Arizona, Arizona State, uh, Cal, whoever else I've missed. Otherwise, this show will literally be three hours long. So let's keep the party going. Um, And I'll be blunt. It is not often that I feel the need to really break down a, a team that was 1-11 the year before. But I will make an exception when they are the most intriguing, interesting, talked-about team of the college football offseason, 
and that is the Colorado Buffaloes, led by none other than Coach Prime, Deion Sanders. Listen, by now everybody knows the story, right? Like, oh, they had a million guys transfer out. And it's like, yeah, but does anybody besides me remember how bad they were last year? It wasn't just that they were 1-11. I'm just going to read you some stats here to set the framework for why Deion Sanders had to rip this team and this foundation down to the studs and then build it back up. Last year, here were just some of the losses by Colorado. They lost by 42 to Minnesota, 23 to Arizona. They lost by 33 to Oregon State, 39 to Oregon, 33 to USC, 47-point loss to Washington, 42-point loss to Utah. So I'm not great at math, but that is seven games that they lost by at least 21 points, at least three touchdowns out of the 11. It shows you how bad this was. Oh, by the way, they finished 126th nationally in scoring, 130th in points allowed. So they had a bottom five scoring offense and a bottom five defense in terms of points given up. That gives you the framework of how bad this thing was and why Coach Prime had to do so much work to build this thing back up. So now that we have that as the framework, let's talk a little bit about who he has in, who he has brought in and what it means for the season ahead. Obviously, a quarterback, it all starts with his son, Shador Sanders. Shador is really talented. I mean, you put aside whatever you think about Coach Prime, too many portal kids, whatever. Shador Sanders would start for virtually every program in the country. There's a few, maybe USC is one of them. Like there's a handful, but this was a kid that had an Alabama offer coming out of high school. He could have played pretty much anywhere in college football. He goes to play for his pops at Jackson State. And last year he was phenomenal. I know it's a level down. I know stepping up from Jackson State to Colorado is a step up, but this was a guy that threw for 40 touchdowns with just six interceptions a season ago, 3,700 yards passing, 70% completion percentage. I don't care if it's Pop Warner, high school, FCS, Division II, college, NFL. 40 touchdowns, six interceptions on 70% completion percentage is pretty good. And the good thing is he will have plenty of talent around him at Colorado. By now, you probably know most of the names. But first of all, from the high school recruiting ranks, Dylan Edwards, former four-star running back, had been committed to Notre Dame, flipped to Colorado, Coach Prime, uh, Amarion Miller, had been committed to Nebraska, flips to Colorado and Coach Prime. Adam Hopkins, a four-star receiver out of Georgia, ends up with Colorado. And in the portal, they did good work as well. Uh, Xavier Weaver was the leading receiver at South Florida. 53 catches, six touchdowns there. He is now at Colorado. And then the guy, if you have heard Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, in any interviews, he has raved about Jimmy Horn, who had 37 catches at Southern at South Florida last year, all AAC team member. So that's the positives. You have a dynamic quarterback and a bunch of skill position guys. Um, but the concerns are multifold. One, the offensive line is going to be patchwork. Obviously, that is the toughest place to get big bodies, get quality bodies. Um, I think the lines, it goes without saying, are the places that it's toughest to recruit and certainly toughest to rebuild uh, over the course of an offseason. Good news is you did bring in some nice pieces. Savion Washington, a 6'8 uh, tackle 
from uh, uh, from Kent State, who previously obviously played with the now current offensive coordinator, Sean Lewis, um, and a couple other intriguing names along the offensive line. And then defensively, uh, also a kind of the same deal. Tough to find big bodies, tough to find good bodies. Colorado did about as well as you could ask. Name to know there, Jordan Dominic, nine and a half tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks at Arkansas a year ago. They also had a Taj Alston from West Virginia, Derek McClendon from Florida State, Amari McNeil from Tennessee, Shane Cox, an all-Ivy League guy at Dartmouth. So they at least added quality bodies. Now, again, bluntly, I understand how all this works. Is it enough to beat USC and Oregon and all these teams? I don't know but at least the talent level has been upgraded. Same at the linebacker position where you added a bunch of pieces uh, from SEC, ACC schools. Most notably there, Brendan Gant from Florida State started a couple games last year. Levante Bailey played at Clemson the last couple years. And then the secondary should be the strength of this defense. Travis Hunter, we all know about, probably going to be a first round, probably going to be a top 10 pick in the 2025 NFL draft. Cormani McLean, five-star, was committed to Miami, ends up at Colorado. Jaquez Robinson comes in from Alabama. Shiloh Sanders, Coach Prime's other football-playing son that followed him from Jackson State is a safety, so that secondary should be really good. Now, we talked about the team. Where, the, where I guess, the concern would come in for me, they just have a thankless schedule. By the way, I think I mentioned this, but if I didn't, forgive me. Colorado's over-under in the Betfred Sportsbook is three and a half. So if I did not mention that, I I apologize. The over-under is three and a half, plus 125 to bet the over, minus 150 to bet the under. And it's not just about Coach Prime. People don't like Coach Prime or whatever. They have a really tough schedule. Colorado is maybe the toughest schedule I've seen in college football this year, although Utah, we're going to talk about next, is in the short conversation. Colorado opens, I think we all know by now, at the defending national runners-up TCU. TCU coming off an appearance in the championship game. That game is obviously in Fort Worth, Coach Prime's home away from home in Dallas. Um, That's a really tough game. Week two, you have Nebraska at home. And then just before the end of September, not talking about the whole season, just before the end of September, you have to play at Oregon and USC at home. So you're playing the defending champs, Nebraska, at Oregon, USC, that's all before the end of September. And so beyond that, that's just the end of September. After that, here are some of the other games that are on Colorado's schedule that are noteworthy. Uh, you have at UCLA, middle middle of the season, Oregon State at home, at Utah to end the year, and even a team like Arizona, which we'll talk about momentarily, is a program on the rise. So when you factor in the schedule, and you factor in the lack of depth specifically on the offensive and defensive lines. It's it's going to be it's going to be an uphill battle for coach Prime. Now I will say I do like the over for a few reasons. One, I believe in coach Prime. And everybody that criticizes this or whatever, as I've said on the Aaron Torres podcast many times since he took this job. Coach Prime, everything he's doing at Colorado, he did at Jackson State, you just didn't pay attention. I've said it a million times. He did a documentary with Barstool Sports his first year at Colorado. And in that documentary, he basically did the same thing. Basically um, cut, if you want, whatever you want to call it, cut, whatever. Threw a bunch of kids off the team that weren't willing to put in the work. 
rebuilt it. By year two, they were awesome, okay? I think the final two years, if I remember my stats correctly, 22-3 and three overall, 22-2 and two against FCS programs. Guy can coach. Bottom line, end of story. And the other thing is, I do think while the Pac-12 is really good, I think there's enough toss-up games where they can get to three wins. They have Colorado State early. That's the only real easy should be a win. Uh, That's the only one that should be a win in September. At Arizona State, Stanford at home. Those are the kind of games that you got to win. At Washington State, Arizona, tough games. You got to win at least a few of those toss-ups. But bottom line is, in a lot of these games, they're going to have the better quarterback. They're going to have the more dynamic skill position. Guys, I'm going to go over three and a half with Colorado. All right, one more team. We'll take a break, and then we'll rip through everybody else. I'd be remiss. We're now five teams in. Have yet to talk about the two-time reigning champion, Utah Utes. Utah's over-under win total in the Betfred Sportsbook is three and a half. Three and a half. That was Colorado. They are eight and a half is the over-under, plus 105 to bet the over, minus 130 to bet the under. Do the math. A lot of money is coming in on the under. Now, a couple things with Utah here. One, it goes without saying, what Kyle Whittingham done, has done is absolutely incredible. Um, coming off a second straight Pac-12 title. But remember the key thing coming into this year. As good as they were the last two years, Cam Rising, their starting quarterback, who was legitimately awesome each of the last two seasons, um, he got hurt in the Rose Bowl, and we're not sure exactly what his status is. Now, the good news is Kyle Whittingham all spring and summer has said the right things. He expects Cam Rising back. This after a season in which he completed 65% of his passes, 26 touchdowns. Assuming he's back, let's do the best case scenario. This offense has a chance to be really good again. And the thing about Utah, I, I, I think because I think because Utah kind of has this reputation of the, you know, they're physical and they're tough and they're mean and ground and pound. I don't think people realize how good this offense has been the last couple of years. This has been one of the most explosive offenses in all of college football. 38 and a half points per game scored last year, 11th nationally, not 11th in the Pac-12, 11th in the country. Also, the rush game was elite, but also the pass game was elite at almost 470 yards per game, which was top 20 nationally. So top 20 nationally pass offense, top 20 nationally run offense. And so I take that back. 466 total yards per game, forgive me, which was top 20 nationally. And then the rush game was top 15 nationally. But the bottom line remains, this is a team that ranked in the top 15 in scoring, the top 20 in total offense. And assuming Cam Rising is healthy, should not miss a beat. Leading rusher Tavion Thomas is gone, but two really good backs that are returning. Micah Bernard, interesting story there. He actually entered the portal and then decided to return. He will be back. So too will Jaquindon Jackson. The two of them combined for about a thousand yards a year ago. And credit to Utah, which always develops really good skill position guys internally. Devon Vele is back after 55 catches a year ago. And what's interesting is even after you lose Dalton Kincaid, an early NFL draft pick to the Buffalo Bills, you still get back Brandon Keithy who for people who don't know got hurt last year, but before that, how about this? Three-time All-Pac-12 tight end. I would venture to guess 
you can count the number of players who are three-time all-conference guys still playing college football, probably on one hand across college football. Utah has one of them at the tight end position. Defensively, it should be much the same. They, they were really good last year, have a chance to be as good or better this season, this off of a year where they gave up 21 points per game, 26 nationally, had an elite rush defense, need to be a little bit better in the secondary, but have been pretty good overall. The good news is this has a chance to be the best defense in the Pac-12, okay? We talked about, you know, USC, how talented the offense is, but the defense needs work. Oregon, how talented the offense is, but the defense needs work. Washington, how talented the offense is, but the defense needs work. Utah had five players that were either on the first or second team All-Pac-12 preseason team on defense. They have a chance to be special. They have a chance to be really good. Junior Tafuna, one of those players, is back. 27 tackles, three and a half loss, three and a half TFLs up front. Uh, also, kind of across the board, just really talented. Kareen Reed. All Pac-12 first team in the preseason, 72 tackles a year ago. Cole Bishop at safety, a uh, another All Pac-12 first team preseason member after an 83 tackle season a year ago. Only concern with Utah. Well, the Utah thing, it's really multifold. A couple things. One, it's Cam Rising. Is he going to stay healthy? Is he going to be okay? All of that. Hopefully, he's fine. Everybody's saying the right thing, but is he really going to be ready to go week one because they're going to need him? I just mentioned a minute ago, Colorado has a very tough early conference schedule. Utah might have the toughest schedule in the country. Just in the out of conference, Utah plays Florida at home to open the season. Remember, they played at Florida last year. Fun game, crazy finish. They end up losing, and they were in the red zone with a chance to win late. Florida now returns to Salt Lake City on opening night that first Thursday of the college football season. Week two, they play at Baylor. Again, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I would bet the number of teams that are playing two power five opponents in the first two weeks, probably could count them on one hand. Colorado's one. We obviously just discussed them. Uh, I think Nebraska, Nebraska is two. They play at Minnesota. At Col- There aren't many teams. Utah is playing Florida at home at Baylor. And then again, before the end of September, they have, how about this, UCLA on a Saturday and then at Oregon State on a Friday. So they have five September games, five games before the end of September, and they play UCLA and at Oregon State in one calendar week. That's brutal. And then that doesn't even include the back half of the schedule, which includes at USC, Oregon at home at Washington. Bottom line, to me, this is a total stay away. If you just threw out schedules and said, who do you think is maybe the best team on paper? I believe Utah can compete with anybody. They beat USC twice last year. Um, best, you know, listen, best culture in this in this conference, two-time reigning champion, um, veteran quarterback, Kyle Whittingham is on record saying this is his best and most experienced offensive and defensive lines that he has had. That feels like it means something, okay? But, same time, I don't know how you can, in good conscience, bet this team. Brutal early schedule with a quarterback coming off major surgery, ACL injury. And then on top of that, the back half of the schedule. Let me read this. Just How about this? Just the Pac-12 schedule. UCLA at home, 
at Oregon State, at USC, Oregon, at Washington. That is a brutal schedule. So look, do I think Utah can get to over eight wins? Absolutely. Do I think they can win the Pac-12 title for a third straight year, maybe the final Pac-12 title ever? Absolutely. But can I bet it? You know, we're trying to find winners here. We're not, if you want to bet on everything, bet on everything. I bet on teams that I think have a, you know, a legitimate chance to make things happen. So this is a stay away to me. Probably, I, I can't even give you a lean. I think it's eight and four, nine and three. If they go 10 and two, 11 and one, 12 and 0 against this schedule, build Kyle Whittingham a statue, even though you're probably going to build him one anyway at some point. All right, so what I'm going to do, it's going to be a long episode. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll wrap the rest of the show. Everything you need to know on the seven remaining schools will be quick on them. I promise. Quick break. Be right. All right, everybody. Now I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, so here's the problem with these leagues without divisions. Okay. So, so we did the SEC East, the SEC West, the Big Ten East, and the Big Ten West. We were able to break them down into nice, neat little compartments and get you out of, uh, you know, do a show in about 30, 35 minutes. It is no such case with the Pac-12, which has 12 teams, no divisions. And so what I'm going to do, do extended previews on two more teams, Colorado and the reigning Pac-12 champion, two-time champion, Utah. We'll take a break, and then we're going to have to just rip through the Washington States, Oregon States, UCLA, Arizona, Arizona State, uh, Cal, whoever else I've missed. Otherwise, this show will literally be three hours long. So let's keep the party going. Um, and I'll be blunt. It is not often that I feel the need to really break down a a team that was 1-11 the year before. But I will make an exception when they are the most intriguing, interesting, talked-about team of the college football offseason, and that is the Colorado Buffaloes, led by none other than Coach Prime. Deion Sanders. Listen, by now everybody knows the story, right? Like, oh, they had a million guys transfer out. And it's like, yeah, but does anybody besides me remember how bad they were last year? It wasn't just that they were 1-11. and I'm just going to read you some stats here to set the framework for why Deion Sanders had to rip this team and this foundation down to the studs and then build it back up. Last year, here were just some of the losses by Colorado. They lost by 42 to Minnesota, 23 to Arizona. They lost by 33 to Oregon State, 39 to Oregon, 33 to USC, 47-point loss to Washington, 42-point loss to Utah. So I'm not great at math, but that is seven games that they lost by at least 21 points, at least three touchdowns out of the 11 It shows you how bad this was. Oh, by the way, they finished 126th nationally in scoring, 130th in points allowed. So they had a bottom five scoring offense and a bottom five defense in terms of points given up. That gives you the framework of how bad this thing was and why Coach Prime had to do so much work to build this thing back up. So now that we have that as the framework, Let's talk a little bit about who he has who he has brought in and what it means for the season ahead. Obviously, a quarterback, it all starts with his son, Shador Sanders. Shador is really talented. I mean, you put aside whatever you think about Coach Prime, too many portal kids, whatever. Shador Sanders would start for virtually every program in the country. 
there's a few, maybe USC is one of them. Like there's a handful, but this was a kid that had an Alabama offer coming out of high school. He could have played pretty much anywhere in college football. He goes to play for his pops at Jackson state. And last year he was phenomenal. I know it's a level down. I know stepping up from Jackson state to Colorado is a step up, but this was a guy that threw for 40 touchdowns with just six interceptions a season ago, 3,700 yards passing 70% completion percentage. I don't care if it's pop Warner high school, FCS division two college NFL. 40 touchdowns, six interceptions on 70% completion percentage is pretty good. And the good thing is he will have plenty of talent around him at Colorado. By now, you probably know most of the names, but first of all, from the high school recruiting ranks, Dylan Edwards, former four-star running back, had been committed to Notre Dame, flipped to Colorado, Coach Prime. Uh, Amarion Miller had been committed to Nebraska, flips to Colorado and Coach Prime. Adam Hopkins, a four-star receiver out of Georgia, ends up with Colorado. And in the portal, they did good work as well. Uh, Xavier Weaver was the leading receiver at South Florida. 53 catches, six touchdowns there. He is now at Colorado. And then the guy, if you have heard Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, in any interviews, he has raved about Jimmy Horn, who had 37 catches at Southern at South Florida last year all AAC team member. So that's the positives. You have a dynamic quarterback and a bunch of skill position guys. Um, but the concerns are multifold. One, the offensive line is going to be patchwork. Obviously, that is the toughest place to get big bodies, get quality bodies. Um, I think the lines, it goes without saying, are the places that it's toughest to recruit and certainly toughest to rebuild uh, over the course of an offseason. Good news is you did bring in some nice pieces. Savion Washington, a 6'8 uh, tackle from uh, uh, from Kent State, who previously obviously played with the now current offensive coordinator, Sean Lewis, um, and a couple other intriguing names along the offensive line. And then defensively, uh, also a kind of the same deal. Tough to find big bodies, tough to find good bodies. Colorado did about as well as you could ask. Name to know there, Jordan Dominic, nine and a half tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks at Arkansas a year ago. They also added Taj Alston from West Virginia, Derek McClendon from Florida State, Amari McNeil from Tennessee, Shane Cox, and all Ivy League guy at Dartmouth. So they at least added quality bodies. Now, again, bluntly, I understand how all this works. Is it enough to beat USC and Oregon and all these teams? I don't know but at least the talent level has been upgraded. Same at the linebacker position where you added a bunch of pieces uh, from SEC, ACC schools, most notably there, Brendan Gant from Florida State started a couple games last year. Levante Bailey played at Clemson the last couple years. And then the secondary should be the strength of this defense. Travis Hunter, we all know about, probably going to be a first round, probably going to be a top 10 pick in the 2025 NFL draft. Cormani McLean, five-star, was committed to Miami, ends up at Colorado. Jaquez Robinson comes in from Alabama. Shiloh Sanders, Coach Prime's other football-playing son that followed him from Jackson State is a safety, so that secondary should be really good. Now, we talked about the team. Where, the, where I guess, the concern would come in for me, they just have a thankless schedule. By the way, I think I mentioned this, but if I didn't, forgive me. Colorado's over under in the Betfred Sportsbook is three and a half. 
So if I did not mention that, I, I apologize. The over-under is three and a half, plus 125 to bet the over, minus 150 to bet the under. And it's not just about Coach Prime. People don't like Coach Prime or whatever. They have a really tough schedule. Colorado is maybe the toughest schedule I've seen in college football this year, although Utah, we're going to talk about next, is in the short conversation. Colorado opens, I think we all know by now, at the defending national runners-up TCU. TCU coming off an appearance in the championship game. That game is obviously in Fort Worth, Coach Prime's home away from home in Dallas. Um, That's a really tough game. Week two, you have Nebraska at home. And then just before the end of September, not talking about the whole season, just before the end of September, you have to play at Oregon and USC at home. So you're playing the defending champs, Nebraska, at Oregon, USC. That's all before the end of September. And so beyond that, that's just the end of September. After that, here are some of the other games that are on Colorado's schedule that are noteworthy. Uh, you have at UCLA, middle middle of the season, Oregon State at home, at Utah to end the year. And even a team like Arizona, which we'll talk about momentarily, is a program on the rise. So when you factor in the schedule and you factor in the lack of depth specifically on the offensive and defensive lines, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be an uphill battle for Coach Prime. Now, I will say I do like the over for a few reasons. One, I believe in Coach Prime and everybody that criticizes this or whatever, as I've said on the Aaron Torres podcast many times since he took this job. Coach Prime, everything he's doing at Colorado, he did at Jackson State. You just didn't pay attention. I've said it a million times. He did a documentary with Barstool Sports his first year at Colorado. And in that documentary, he basically did the same thing. Basically um, cut, if you want, whatever you want to call it, cut, whatever. Threw a bunch of kids off the team that weren't willing to put in the work, rebuilt it. By year two, they were awesome, okay? I think the final two years, if I remember my stats correctly, 22 and three overall, 22 and two against FCS programs. Guy can coach. Bottom line, end of story. And the other thing is, I do think while the Pac 12 is really good, I think there's enough toss up games where they can get to three wins. They have Colorado State early. That's the only real easy should be a win. That's the only one that should be a win in September. At Arizona State, Stanford at home, those are the kind of games that you got to win. At Washington State, Arizona, the, the tough games, you got to win at, at least a few of those tosses. But bottom line is, in a lot of these games, they're going to have the better quarterback. They're going to have the more dynamic skill position guys. I'm going to go over three and a half with Colorado. All right, one more team. We'll take a break, and then we'll rip through everybody else. I'd be remiss. We're now five teams in, have yet to talk about the two-time reigning champion, Utah Utes. Utah's over-under win total in the Betfred Sportsbook is three and a or three and a half. That was Colorado. They are eight and a half is the over-under, plus 105 to bet the over, minus 130 to bet the under. Do the math. A lot of money is coming in on the under. Now, a couple things with Utah here. One, it goes without saying, what Kyle Whittingham done, has done is absolutely incredible. Um, coming off a second straight Pac-12 title. But remember the key thing coming into this year. As good as they were the last two years, Cam Rising, their starting quarterback, who was legitimately awesome each of the last two seasons, um, he got hurt in the Rose Bowl, and we're not sure exactly what his status is. 
Now, the good news is Kyle Whittingham all spring and summer has said the right things. He expects Cam Rising back. This after a season in which he completed 65% of his passes, 26 touchdowns. Assuming he's back, let's do the best case scenario. This offense has a chance to be really good again. And the thing about Utah, I, I, I think because, I think because Utah kind of has this reputation of the, you know, they're physical and they're tough and they're mean and ground and pound. I don't think people realize how good this offense has been the last couple of years. This has been one of the most explosive offenses in all of college football. 38 and a half points per game scored last year, 11th nationally, not 11th in the Pac-12, 11th in the country. Also, the rush game was elite, but also the pass game was elite at almost 470 yards per game, which was top 20 nationally. So top 20 nationally pass offense, top 20 nationally run offense. And so I take that back. 466 total yards per game, forgive me, which was top 20 nationally. And then the rush game was top 15 nationally. But the bottom line remains, this is a team that ranked in the top 15 in scoring, the top 20 in total offense. And assuming Cam Rising is healthy, should not miss a beat. Leading rusher Tavion Thomas is gone, but two really good backs that are returning. Micah Bernard, interesting story there. He actually entered the portal and then decided to return. He will be back. So too will Jaquindon Jackson. The two of them combined for about a thousand yards a year ago. And credit to Utah, which always develops really good skill position guys internally. Devon Vele is back after 55 catches a year ago. And what's interesting is even after you lose Dalton Kincaid, an early NFL draft pick to the Buffalo Bills, you still get back Brandon Keithy who, for people who don't know, got hurt last year. But before that, how about this? Three-time All-Pac-12 tight end. I would venture to guess you can count the number of players who are three-time All-Conference guys still playing college football, probably on one hand across college football. Utah has one of them at the tight end position. Defensively, it should be much the same. They, they were really good last year, have a chance to be as good or better this season this off of a year where they gave up 21 points per game, 26 nationally, had an elite rush defense, need to be a little bit better in the secondary, but have been pretty good overall. The good news is this has a chance to be the best defense in the Pac-12, okay? We talked about, you know, USC, how talented the offense is, but the defense needs work. Oregon, how talented the offense is, but the defense needs work. Washington, how talented the offense is, but the defense needs work. Utah had five players that were either on the first or second team All-Pac-12 preseason team on defense. They have a chance to be special. They have a chance to be really good. Junior Tafuna, one of those players, is back. 27 tackles, three and a half loss, three and a half TFLs up front. Uh, also, kind of across the board, just really talented. Kareen Reed, All-Pac-12 first team in the preseason, 72 tackles a year ago. Cole Bishop at safety. A, uh, another All-Pac-12 first-team preseason member after an 83-tackle season a year ago. Only concern with Utah. Well, the Utah thing, it's really multifold. A couple things. One, it's Cam Rising. Is he going to stay healthy? Is he going to be okay? All of that. Hopefully, he's fine. Everybody's saying the right thing. But is he really going to be ready to go week one? Because they're going to need him. I just mentioned a minute ago, Colorado has a very tough early conference schedule. Utah might have the toughest schedule in the country. Just in the out of conference, 
Utah plays Florida at home to open the season. Remember, they played at Florida last year. Fun game. Crazy finish. They end up losing, and they were in the red zone with a chance to win late. Florida now returns to Salt Lake City on opening night that first Thursday of the college football season. Week two, they play at Baylor. Again, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I would bet the number of teams that are playing two Power 5 opponents in the first two weeks, probably could count them on one hand. Colorado's one. We obviously just discussed them. Uh, I think Nebraska Nebraska is two. They play at Minnesota. At Col- There aren't many teams. Utah is playing Florida at home at Baylor. And then again, before the end of September, they have, how about this, UCLA on a Saturday and then at Oregon State on a Friday. So they have five September games, five games before the end of September, and they play UCLA and at Oregon State in one calendar week. That's brutal, and then that doesn't even include the back half of the schedule, which includes at USC, Oregon at home, at Washington. Bottom line, to me, this is a total stay away. If you just threw out schedules and said, who do you think is maybe the best team on paper? I believe Utah can compete with anybody. They beat USC twice last year. Um, best, you know, listen, best culture in this, in this conference, two-time reigning champion, um, veteran quarterback, Kyle Whittingham is on record saying this is his best and most experienced offensive and defensive lines that he has had. That feels like it means something. Okay. But same time, I don't know how you can in good conscience, bet this team. Brutal early schedule with a quarterback coming off major surgery, ACL injury. And then on top of that, the back half of the schedule. Let me read this. Just how about this? Just the Pac-12 schedule. UCLA at home, at Oregon State, at USC, Oregon, at Washington. That is a brutal schedule. So look, do I think Utah can get to over eight wins? Absolutely. Do I think they can win the Pac-12 title for a third straight year, maybe the final Pac-12 title ever? Absolutely. But can I bet it? You know, we're trying to find winners here. We're not, if you want to bet on everything, bet on everything. I bet on teams that I think have a, you know, a legitimate chance to make things happen. So this is a stay away to me. Probably, I, I can't even give you a lean. I think it's eight and four, nine and three. If they go 10 and two, 11 and one, 12 and 0 against this schedule, build Kyle Whittingham a statue, even though you're probably going to build him one anyway at some point. All right, so what I'm going to do, it's going to be a long episode. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll wrap the rest of the show. Everything you need to know on the seven remaining schools will be quick on them. I promise. Quick break. Be right back.